people live righteously. It is time for another episode of The Cultural Hall. As the music indicates, it is an Articles of News, the last Articles of News that we'll post uh, before the Christmas holiday. Uh, and 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 this is an exciting one because, um, well, a couple of things. One, uh, a new uh, news guest host is joining me for this episode, and we're going to get to know her just a little bit in a minute. Uh, but also, I want to tease some of the news stories that we're going to come up uh, and talk about. For example, Boat Parade, uh, who is Isaac Manning? And yes, oh yes, I am horrified to learn this about Brandon Flowers. That's coming up in the second block when we get to actual articles of news. I'll welcome in Megan Mitchell uh, here to the Cultural Hall. Welcome, Megan. Hey there, Richie. How are you? I'm great. If everyone could Can please- Can you hear me? Uh, if yeah, if everyone could please scoot towards the uh, center, uh, we got to make more room for people here in the cultural hall. We've got some latecomers. If you guys wouldn't mind getting to know the neighbors that uh, that you're next to, uh, we're going to do this like we did it pre-COVID in the cultural hall. Megan, uh, I know Megan uh, because Megan was uh, how do I put this? Megan was a uh, client. Do we say that uh, you you took client my... student? Yeah, student. Uh, I like that. <laughs> uh, it took my uh, my podcast class, and now she has uh, fingers crossed over a thousand people that have listened to her podcast. Richie, I am so close. I am twenty downloads away. I can so, like taste it. So by the but time, by the time this comes out, mm -hmm. I might be there. There you go. A big deal, and yeah. congratulations. Thank you so much. It's really, really exciting. Really so, exciting to hit. So that I'm going to give you this opportunity. Uh, tell people about your podcast. Pitch them, sell them, just like we, just like I taught you. All right. So my podcast, the Little Lessons Podcast, it's all about finding the little ways that Heavenly Father is active in our lives, in our everyday lives, um, in that He is reaching out to us and teaching us in ways that are unique and individual to us. Um, I just, I found myself in this place wondering, how does Heavenly Father interact with me? I was really struggling to understand that. And I was thinking, I don't see big biblical miracles in my life, mm -hmm. like most people. Mm -hmm. um, I don't see burning bushes and parting seas. And then it just, I went on this kind of odyssey, um, praying all of the time. I was praying about everything. And then I started to see these little lessons you know, the, the name of the podcast, these little mm -hmm. lessons that Heavenly Father was teaching me. I would see a bumper sticker that was particularly meaningful, a bumper sticker that I may be have seen hundreds of times that never meant anything to me. But then when I saw it, that one day, it changed the way that I look at people and the way I interact with people. Or my most uh, recent episode was about a rock that I saw in Rome, where most people would walk over that rock and it would be just another rock. Whereas when I saw it, it meant a lot to me in regards to why it's important to stand out and be different. Um, so yeah, and I've done this through uh, sharing my own personal stories. Um, like I said, things that I'm seeing in my everyday life, but also interviewing uh, friends and neighbors, ward members, people I know at the gym, just getting to know them better and understanding where they find comfort, uh, learning about their faith and how they see Heavenly Father in their lives. And one of the things I that really appreciate is that uh, if you're like, oh, this this sounds awfully like, um, oh, I know what I'm going to get from this. You don't. 
Um, she visits with lots of people who aren't uh, members of the church. And so it's fun mm-hmm. to be able to hear not only about the way that Heavenly Father touches their life, but also to hear about their sort of interaction in this Mormon Mecca and about how they navigate it. And, and there's been a couple moments where uh, I, I have really enjoyed what people have said about how Heavenly Father or God in some of them as reference right. um, has touched their lives. So so great job. Couldn't be more Thank proud. Thank you so much. Thank and, you. Uh, and Megan's going to join us to do the news today. You know, I have to tell you, uh, so we have started observing in uh, our house, uh, getting Christmas uh, presents before Christmas. Getting and what? Sorry? Getting Christmas presents uh, before yes, yes. Christmas. Sure. And I have to tell you, it's the greatest thing. So so it's just my wife and I. Um, a kid doesn't live with mm-hmm. me. You know, he's older. And so, yeah. uh, so we have started to observe... And part of this is really just because we're horrible gift givers. We've just started <laughs> to observe like getting our Christmas gifts when Amazon brings them. That's when we love give it. the other person the gift. And and I love and I love it. Well, it's like Christmas for like two weeks. Yeah. Right. I mean, like you're opening presents consistently for several days and that sounds fun. Yeah. And 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 you're waiting like the anticipation that you only get for the one day when you're waiting for Christmas morning. Like I'm looking outside for the Amazon guy. I'm praying for the health of the postal, you know, postal worker that he'll get there safely. And and because everything comes in a box that isn't specific to the size of what the object is, right? You get a four foot box Mm -hmm. for a pair of shoes, that kind of stuff. I love being able to kind of like guess because my wife will be like, this is for you. And I've been enjoying the heck out of my Christmas slippers that I got. I love it. I love it. Well, my husband and I, um, we're both really bad at keeping secrets from each other. Like Uh I I get him a present and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited for this (laughs) thing I get you. I can't, I can't, I can't hold on to it. And I'll be like, I'm not going to tell you. And then like two days later, I'm like, I cannot wait to tell you about this thing I got. And so this year we're super behind in our Christmas preparations. Uh Um, And so we were just out shopping the other day and he knew that I really wanted um, a pasta roller. Okay. I just went to Italy. So I'm all in on like making homemade pasta. Sure. And so I really wanted like the whole setup. And so we happened to be at Orson Gigi and he's like, you really want a pasta maker, don't you? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, okay, go pick one. (laughs) <laughs> and you know, and then like get the get the drying rack and all of the things and and so it's wrapped and it'll go under the tree and I'll be super surprised around all of the kids, but I already know what I'm getting. And yeah, he knows what yeah. he's getting. I'm gonna push back on that. He should have just let you take it home and then it's done at that well, but point. Here's, but here's the thing. I've got six kids uh-huh. and several of them, so four of them, I'm trying to be diplomatic because there might be kids listening. So okay. four of them know the deal about Christmas. Yeah, where the magic comes yeah, from. The and celebration of, them, of the birth of Jesus and a love for all mankind. Exactly. And two of them, the younger ones, have a different understanding about where the magic of Christmas comes from. Okay. So I have to keep up the ruse for everybody involved. So okay. Santa Claus is bringing this amazing pasta roller and pasta drying rack for me. And Santa Claus is bringing an amazing fondue pot for my husband. And, you know. That we we gotta we gotta preserve the the magic for the little ones in the household. So, so, so. I also need to ask you this, uh, because mm-hmm. like I've visited with enough people and helped enough people move in the year twenty twenty two. At what point do you think you shift over to the we don't need any more crap in this house? Uh, well, like seven years ago, but yet somehow we still collect crap and yep. it still multiplies and replenishes in our household. So, 
I mean, like with us, we try to uh, lean in more towards things that are more um, consumable in that it's going to be used constantly and then discarded. So things like art art supplies are going to get used and consumed Mm. and then they go away, you know, and like clothing. I mean, my kids are growing like weeds. And so anything I get, anything Santa brings for Christmas or birthdays, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's going to be out in six months anyway, you know? Santa brings Just, stuff for their birthdays? I'm getting the short end of the stick. Well, <laughs> you know, you really are. I think you should adopt that rule too. Um, but, but but yeah, so whenever they get presents, if it's clothing, it's it's going to be gone. So mm-hmm. uh, not because of, not because I buy cheap stuff, but just because they're going to grow and sure. it's going to gonna get used and abused. So yeah. You know, we have uh, we have a few toys and we do try to get rid of before the big events happen. But yeah, yeah, it 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 is fascinating to me how if you aren't very, very uh, pay very, very close attention to it, you can quickly have like for people that are Patreon saints, go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. You can see that here in my studio, I have three boxes full of stuff that I'm going to buy a piece of furniture so I can just tuck them in a drawer because most of those things I can't get rid of. But we're starting to institute the, if something comes in, something has to go out rule at this house. So we'll see how that goes. Well, and I know that if I hold on to the box of cords, you know, the random cords that I find around the house, Mm -hmm. the second I get rid of it, I'm going to need one of them. Sure. And then I'm going to have to spend money to like figure out the replacement and mm-hmm. buy it. So it's like, you know, better safe to just keep it all and sure. just hide it. Sure. Don't get rid <laughs> of a thing and and make sure that you exclaim when you hold on to it. It's still good. That's yes. the best way to, to or really. I might know. need it in the future. <laughs> might need it in the future. <laughs> uh, let's take a break. Uh, I've got uh, several news uh, items. You've got some news items. Plus, we've got an email that someone sent in. Contact at theculturalhall.com. We'll take a quick break and come back and do actual articles of news. Bestdjinutah.com is a website that you need to go to if you would like to party with me. Now, Just because it says Utah as part of the URL does not mean that it has to be in the state of Utah. I've traveled to such illustrious places as Wyoming, Nevada, Texas, Washington, and others, Idaho as well. If uh, if you're having an event and you think, you know what, I would love the energy, the charisma that is Richie uh, to be able to bless the event. I don't know why I said bless. You can hit me up, bestdjinutah.com. Maybe you, you yourself are getting married or has been the case multiple times this year. You are the apparent not a parent, just the parent, uh, or one of the parents, because there's multiple parents. I'm getting distracted. You are one of the parents of the bride or groom, and you think, Richie would be great to be at this event. You can hit me up, bestdjinutah.com. Be sure that you mentioned uh, that you hear it on the cultural hall. I may, in fact, even get you a little bit of a discount. Who knows? We'll see how I feel that day. It's bestdjinutah.com. Hi friends, Dan the Laptop Man here from PC Laptops. You can get a brand new PC Laptops desktop and they start at only $29 a month and it comes with a lifetime warranty. Just check us out at PCLaptops.com. That's PCLaptops.com. Here in the second block uh, is when we do actual articles of news. I would love it if you would hit it, Peter. You can't lose articles of news. And away we go. Now don't forget, coming up in the third block, the most important announcement in the history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We have the temple ticker, Corey K. Ward. He'll be here 
making that announcement. That's coming up in the third block. Uh, we start here with an email that we got. It says, I'm listening to your most recent podcast, and I just went, uh, I think want is what it should have been, want to end this year by thanking you for your bi-weekly entertainment. It really is a joy to listen to your news, banter, and interviews. Thank you for all the time that it takes to put those out. And I would say... No, thank you, Carrie, who uh, sent this in. Uh, as a side note, she says, I also listened to the Tribe of Testimonies podcast. Have you ever listened to that, Megan? I've listened to a few episodes. And actually, she lives in Bluffdale, where I live. We're in yeah, different Andrea states. Andrea Hales but I know is her the husband. Host. Yeah, he's on our city council. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and Mark, her husband. Uh, so, mm -hmm. so Tribe of Testimonies, for people who don't know, is it's... Um, it is a podcast that is focused on um, Native American members of the church, right? Various tribes, uh, various activity levels, as I understand it as well, um, and, and relations with the church. But that's what Tribe of Testimonies is about. And you know what you have in common with uh, with that host, Megan? Ooh, what's that? Also, We're both women. A, also a student of mine. Oh, nice. Yeah. So... Uh, Let's get back to the email. She says, uh, as a side note, I also listen to the Tribe of Testimonies podcast. Many times the subject comes up as to blessings of the Indian placement program. And you have had, says Carrie, a few negative comments about the Indian placement program and said things like that we should be glad that this program program doesn't exist. Something to that effect. I have heard nothing but praise for the Indian placement program on the Tribe of Testimonies. Anyway, this is all about you and my praise for the cultural hall. Whoop, whoop. Thank you, Carrie, longtime listener from San Diego. And uh, and and so what I would like to do with this, rather than solely people's opinions, this will be uh, one of the first episodes in 2023 where we will talk to some folks about what the Indian placement program was within the church, what some positives were around it, and also maybe, maybe some of the uh, though not so positives. I feel bad that she thinks that I hate it. I don't I don't hate it. I just think I think there was maybe some side effects that were unintended and some things that occurred unintended. that, you know, pretty bad. Uh that yeah. takes us to this first story, which is have you ever been to a boat parade, Megan? Uh no, I have well, no, I take that back. I used to live in Oregon, okay. right? Uh not far from the Willamette River. And there were boat parades. A lot of times with like lights and stuff. I think I went to one of those. Okay. Okay. This sounds very so, similar. Not a lot of experience. <laughs> uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has participated in the Newport Beach Christmas Boat Parade uh, for the last decade. Uh, I'm sorry, half decade. Um, and, and what it is, if I understand this correctly, it is exactly what you think it is, which is people sit on the shore of a river or a lake. In this case, it's a river. And... Uh, or uh, maybe the ocean. Now I feel dumb that I don't know which I feel one like that it's is. The ocean. Uh, and and people will will um, float by, and on their boat they have um, just like you would have on top of like a a, a semi or something like that, sure. right? Depictions of Jesus in the manger, or you know we're celebrating Melikiliki Maka over here on this boat. And the so it's all Christmas themed. This one yeah. that you're talking about. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And the, and the church participated. Now, here's the thing I don't know, mm -hmm. is this particular boat parade ran over uh, a Sunday, and I don't know oh. if the particular float from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints participated on a Sunday, and I would have questions if it did because, you know, the devil owns the water. 
So I would be curious to know. Right, right. And we've we've got to think about all of that. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe maybe they just found some like boat pilot just on the dock and they're like, here, we'll pay you on Saturday yeah. for you to drive <laughs> it on Sunday. <laughs> this is you. This It's the calling to the one person that is uh, in the ward who is married to a member, but like, is not you know, a member, but no. not a member. So they're like, no, no, this is fine. Will you drive our boat on this day? Perfect. Right. They're all sitting in, in ward council or state council and they're like, what's Jim up to? Jim Jim could probably drive the boat for us. He's he's not a member. He comes sometimes. <laughs> yeah, do, do you think he'd be all right? Yeah, Jim would do it. Jim would do it. Of course he would. Uh, Absolutely. That's, that's my lead story. What's your lead story this week? All right. Lead story. Let's see. This one's going to be, hmm, where should I start? I've got a lot. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're more softball. I don't know. I prepared a lot for, for this, so I want to make sure I get this right. Okay, this one is a softball, but I think it's fun. Okay. And I think you're going to like it. So a picture came around on LDS Living um, commemorating National Twin Day. And it's a rare photograph from 1924, which reveals an astonishing number of twins in one Latter-day Saint ward. Mm-hmm. So this is from 1924. There were 11 sets of twins in this ward. It was the Provost Second Ward. Okay. okay? So here's why I think you're going to like it, Richie. They list the names of all of these children in this picture. And I know you like names. Oh, so you've got it. some regulars like Martha and Joseph. Um, you've got an, a Gladys and a Grace, you know, ones that you would. Those are pretty, pretty typical. But we've got a Rita and a Rilla. Okay. Rita and Rilla. It could be Ria, too, if it's R-I-L-L-A. You know, it is. Last name is Jacobson. So I'm not sure where they <laughs> fall with, with lineage. Um and then you've got uh, Gladys. Oh, Gladys and Grace. I said that one already. Uh, Melba and Melva. Oh, geez. So that one, that one would get super confusing. Um, yeah. And then you have Lavon and Laverne. <laughs> and you know, there's some good ones. And it's hard because, you know, this was a time when um, gendered dressing wasn't necessarily as much of a thing as it is now. So uh-huh. I'm like, oh. Lavon and Laverne are those a boy and a girl? Don't know because yeah, they're can't tell. They might both be in dresses, <laughs> you know. Um, but I was just, I was thinking about that. So I used to be a primary president, right? And we had one set of twins when I was primary president, and I could never tell them apart. And now I'm primary music leader. Hashtag best calling in the world. Yeah. And I have another set of twins, and I cannot tell them apart at all. I can't imagine having several sets of twins in primary that would just break my my brain so that was like i said softball one getting me started getting me ramped up for articles. yeah listen get your feet wet right here in the news great job and it actually led Mm. perfectly uh into the next story that i wanted to share uh did you know that miss rodeo america 2023 is a member of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints sorry you cut out again i don't know what's Uh, going on with the internet so i don't know either miss rodeo 2023 she's a member of of jesus christ of latter-day saints she is a member of the church and this is the only reason that i bring it up uh she talks about uh Mm -hmm. how her experience as a returned missionary has been awesome for for what she does um she when she was speaking recently she wore her late grandmother great grand or i'm sorry grandmother's favorite outfit that's not it her name is kennedy riggs and you're thinking richie what's the big deal why does that matter why would you bring that up, up in an articles of news it is spelled k e n n a d e e kennedy riggs good one 
That's a good one. You know, what's funny is I actually had that um, article on my list. So I'm glad you shared it because I wasn't going to. So <laughs> and but, congratulations to her. And I'm grateful for her representation in the church and all that. Absolutely. I'm not, and it's not any sort of shame or anything like that. But why can't we? And I like her name. I like the name Kennedy. Can't we just spell names the way they should be spelled? Why do we have to be crazy and different and unique? And I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, mean, I don't get it. Here's the thing. I entered into this conversation knowing that I have a daughter named Siobhan and it's spelled absolutely bonkers. Mm -hmm. S-I-O-B-H-A-N. It's a Gaelic name. So I'm going to excuse it for that strict purpose. You know, it's I'm spelling it according to the culture it comes from, which we have our lineage in that culture. So I think Mm -hmm. it's okay. Um, But yeah, there's some interesting things that people, especially in Utah, tend to do with maybe the Intermountain West and maybe not just solely Utah, but it probably once a week, I get a text from my husband with a name that's just spelled in a way that I would never, ever expect. He's like, yep, that's the girl who helped me at Desert Book today. You know, <laughs> <laughs> don't get it. <laughs> yeah, And, you know, OK, we have some great names, although I will tell you this about Siobhan. Uh, she recently was in an episode of your podcast with you and, mm-hmm. you know, very smart, very uh I I was amazed um, by what she shared with you as part of that episode. But you have cursed her with having to say, no, no, that's how you, this is how, because it looks like Sayobun. Sayobun yes. is what it looks like. And no one will ever get Siobhan unless they are particularly understanding of Gaelic culture. Exactly. Or if they're a teacher. This is what I'm finding. If somebody has been a teacher and they have had the, uh, a student named Siobhan, that name and spelling is seared in their brain for the rest of their lives. Hmm. So I've had teachers who have looked at her name that, I mean, there's, there's obviously teachers who don't see it, who don't know it, but the people, if there's ever a consistent demographic of people who can get that name, it's teachers. Okay. So, okay. You know, did, did never you her, her teachers, but. <laughs> did you give her a non-explanatory middle name? Eileen. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Siobhan Eileen Mitchell. So if she yeah. gets really tired of it, she can just be Eileen and still have the culture and be able to move on. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. What what uh, what other news stories do you have? Okay. So this was a fun one. Um, so have you ever heard of a former Latter-day Saint becoming a Catholic saint? Uh, I mean, you don't hear about that much within our culture, but I'm I'm sure that it happens. So um I found this story um and I, I it caught my attention because, like I said, I was recently in Italy, did the Vatican, learned a bunch about um, the Catholic Church, which I already have a very respectful fascination might be a weird word, but respect and wanting to understand the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. And so this one caught my attention. So there was a woman named Cora Louise Evans, who was born in 1904 in Ogden, um, married in the Salt Lake Temple. And then later on, her and her husband became disillusioned from the church. and. Mm and chose to separate themselves. Um, but she mentions that even though she, she left religion, she left God, she ended up with this really amazing husband and she learned to love him more and more. And they decided that they needed to find God again. And they found their true God in the Catholic church. Um, she later went on to report that she had very profound visions, even dating all the way back to her early childhood. And, um, the archdiocese of Monterey, California, um, said that she experienced stigmata, which is unexplained wounds that match uh, the wounds that Jesus suffered, right? So now she uh, she recorded all of her encounters in um, a, a document, The Refugee from Heaven, 
and she's now being considered for sainthood in cool. the Catholic Church. So I think that that's a really interesting crossover, um, saint to saint. That was the title of the the little article that I read. Um, so yeah, that'll just be an interesting little. And then she would truly be a saint. Wait for it, a yes. latter day saint. There it is. Boo. There it is. Boo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is fascinating. Paul Reeve, a uh, future solo guest of the Cultural Hall. He was here a little while back with Molly Bonner uh, talking mm -hmm. about the statues up at the This Is The Place um, Park, Heritage Park. Um, but he, as we mentioned, and that is doing uh, the project called The Century of Black Mormons, uh, created by Paul Reeve. Uh, he is the history department chair at the University of Utah. It basically is um, focusing on black members of the church in the first century of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And, and, and there's constantly stuff coming out, stuff that he discovers uh, and then shares, and it doesn't get nearly atten the attention uh, that it deserves. Uh, I have actually talked with a few people. We might start sub-podcasting uh, the cultural hall and having... Um, some focus of the century of Black Mormons kind of be incorporated in our feed and then also having it be its separate thing to be giving it this I more and greater attention. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but he, this this last week, there was an article about Isaac Manning. Do you have any idea who Isaac Manning is? Uh, is he connected to Jane Manning James? He is. How do you suppose okay. he might be connected? Uh, is it her son? Nope. Her brother. Brother. No, oh, I was so close. Yeah. Yep, you. I mean, but good call. I don't know that everyone would even get that uh, related to Jane Manning James. So the brother uh, of Jane Manning James, uh, born May fifteenth, eighteen fifteen, in Wilton, Connecticut, uh, he has some news that uh, has been shared, discovered, and now is posted as part of this Century of Black Mormons project. He is the one, Isaac, that mm -hmm. dug four graves for the bodies of Joseph and Hiram. You remember that. You know, they they talk about how they dug the graves in the graveyard and that's where they buried the caskets full of sand because they right. didn't want the, uh, you know, the Decoy. bodies to be disrupted. Right. He he was the one who dug those graves as well as the resting place for Joseph and Hiram. Wow. Wow. And so a double connection to Joseph Smith from the Manning family between mm -hmm. Jane and Isaac. Wow. Yeah. That's fascinating. I think I love that. Um in certain circles of the church, uh, the African-American church experience is getting, or black American, black church members is getting more, more attention. I think that's really, really important. Yeah. And so love, love it when more news comes out about that. Uh, the quote that actually is attributed to this, and I, I think this comes from I think a, a journal or uh, some writing of the time says, quote, they filled the caskets with sand and buried them in the cemetery. And Isaac dug both of those graves. But when they were, but when, uh, but then where they really buried them was at the Joseph Smith homestead and he dug those graves as well. So pretty cool to, uh, to hear about that and, and to know that that recognition, recognition, that light is being shed on, uh, on these individuals. Like you say, what else do you have? Okay. So I have, um, this story out of Harriman. Um, this is more tangentially related to the church, but I think it's important. So you have two, um, uh, student athletes who are, um, I want to get this right. They are Sikh. So they're basketball players who adhere to the Sikh religion and they wear turbans on their head, right? Because okay. um, they they don't cut their hair and the turbans protect their hair. 
And these two young men were getting ready to play in their basketball when, or their basketball game when the referee said they had to go take off their turbans, or he called them towels, which oh, is geez. ew, gross. Um, oh and it just continually told them, you can't play, you can't play. And when the coach stepped in, the referee was saying, you're going to have to forfeit the game because if you're going to refuse to take these off. And uh, obviously, extremely offensive, right? Yes. Um, just so gross. Um, and so there's a state representative out of Harriman, uh, Candice Perucci, who has now put forth a bill to allow for religious, um, I want to get this right, uh, making religious accommodations for any high school or any public school facilities or public mm -hmm. school athletic teams. So this was a club team that was utilizing a public school. So they would fall under these religious accommodations. Um, hmm. The reason that I feel like this is important is because as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, who we have our own experience with prejudice and with um, being in the minority, uh, we should not stand for things like this to happen. Yeah. It's just absolutely, um, it's, uh, to say it's unfortunate is an understatement. Yeah. Um, and luckily the bill uh, passed with bipartisan support. Um, it's being supported by um, the uh, high school athletic, or the Utah High School Activities Association. Um it's getting support from the Utah Muslim Civic League, amongst others, other important organizations. So, um, like I said, tangentially related to the church, but we should be 100% in support of accommodations like this. Well, and the likelihood that someone involved in this, and please bless that it wasn't the one that, you know, I don't even want to repeat what he said, but please bless that it wasn't that guy. But we need to be aware of, of people's, you know, traditions. We would ask that people be sensitive to the things that we think that are important. And we exactly. also need to be sensitive uh, to the things that others uh, believe to be important. I thought exactly. this was fascinating. Tell me what this, what strikes you about this, uh, this next news story. In um, Queensland, which is in Australia, the youth... Uh, recently participated in track. 120 okay. youth from the Kumara Australia Stake participated in that stake's first ever pioneer trek. The teens, with the help of 60 youth leaders, spent three days in early October walking nearly 29 miles through the bush in regional Queensland while hauling handcarts. Okay. Is there anything that strikes you as perhaps odd about that story? Well, I mean... A few things. Okay. I don't know of any pioneers who pulled hand carts across Australia. Mm -hmm. That's that's the first thing. Yes. Um, everything that I hear about the Australian bush is that there is wildlife that is constantly waiting to kill you. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it would be terrifying. Um, and it was in October, which is summer there. So not, not a typical time for Trek to even happen as far as we are experienced with it. So those are the three things that stick out. So so uh, I appreciate the uh, second two. Uh, the first <laughs> one was the only one for me, right? I mean, the bush will try and kill yeah. you, I suppose. I, I've I've seen Crocodile Dundee, but why? Why, <laughs> why? This is my frustrated face for people who aren't Patreon saints as I rub my eyes and try and understand this. Why? Why? Why do we 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 do this in other places? I get it. I a thousand percent get it for I'll even give the wider blanket of like 
United States members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, okay? Like, I, I normally yeah. wouldn't. I would normally say, like, West Coast or Intermountain West. Like, let's do these right. pioneer treks because that's the people who settled where we're at, right? Right. On board, right. 100%, all day long. Faith in that, you bet. But when we're putting people in pioneer garb in yeah. Australia, pulling handcarts across the bush, like, I just feel like, I just feel like, and, and I know that people will come at me because I'm sure, just as their theme said, they had faith in every footstep and they were able to have spiritual experiences and they were able to not have their phones and the youth grew and they were able to have, you know, connections that they, we can do that in a way that isn't pulling a handcart in the bush of Australia that could learn about right. the saints and their history in that particular area. So... I come at any Trek conversation as somebody who has never participated in a Trek before. Mm -hmm. um, when I was, I grew up right outside Portland, Oregon, like I said, and I think Treks were starting to happen in Oregon, like when I was leaving the youth program, right? Mm -hmm. And any opportunities for my kids to participate in Trek got canceled because of COVID. So um, my experience is like an outsider looking in, in regards to Trek. And sometimes I look at it, I'm like, this is a really faith promoting experience. I can see the, the merit and the appeal in it, but also it sounds awful. Uh, but like I said, I've never experienced it before. But like you said, I mean, we are very aware of pioneers in other parts of the world. Pioneers in regards to them being pioneering members of the church, right? And mm -hmm. so there are probably some localized experiences that members in Queensland, Australia could have that would connect them more to their Latter-day Saint heritage there in Australia. You know, I mean, I feel like you there there's some amazing experiences in Africa that could be, you know, saints over in Africa could could experience that have nothing to do with a trek that we would never understand as you know members in the United States. So it you it's a very interesting point to bring up that maybe let's try to find find some other ways to promote that faith. Well, and so. and it's hard when we say no, the church isn't uh, an American church, it's a global church when we focus on <laughs> one year of time that occurred in Utah and replicate it throughout the world. It's not it right. And and I feel I like mean, I'll Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I could maybe even make an allowance for saints in like Western Europe who then, you know, took the boats over to America to then get a handcart. You know, I could even maybe understand that connection. But beyond that, it's really it's really hard to to understand the justification. So I'll take it one step further. I think the church will lean away from this in the next couple of years. I think that I they will that. do specifically what I'm saying, which is that they'll say, these are great. And maybe if you want to do some sort of reenactment so that people understand this, but really seek because the history department, because the church as its core is really working to have those histories of the particular like countries and areas, they'll say, right. look, let's do that for your particular area. And I think it's, it's even that much more important because in some of these places, like the person who first found the church is still alive mm -hmm. and is the right. old person that has been neglected in the ward that everyone just is like, oh, that's, you know, that's Dan. That obviously wouldn't be the person's <laughs> name, but that's Dan. I don't know why, who that person even is. Like they could right. learn firsthand from those experiences. Well, and honestly, Richie, I would like some of that even 
here now. I I have some pioneer heritage and I love it and I respect it. But also I'm really connected to my grandfather who was raised in Salt Lake City, but wasn't raised a member of the church, you know, and I his experiences of of learning about the church all throughout his life and then not joining the church until the late 70s. Those are almost more impactful to me because I knew him, you know, and I I knew his personality, you know, and and I I see the um, immediate effects on my family, you know, and or my dad's a convert, you know, and understanding his experiences, again, is almost more impactful because I see the immediate effects. So, you know, I, I love the past, love being connected to it, but it's not the end all be all, you know, I'll, I'll take that. Okay. What uh, we probably have time for maybe one or two new more news stories. So bring okay. your best. I'm going to hit you with a little bit of a sad one. Okay. Um, so this year on December 14th was the 10 year anniversary of the Sandy Hook school shooting. Oof. Um, And of course we know, hopefully Robbie and Alyssa Parker were parents to six year old Emily, who was a kindergartner at Sandy Hook Elementary, who uh, passed away. Um, they also were the main or the highest beneficiaries of the lawsuit with Alex Jones because Alex Jones particularly hit on this family. Um, and the whole thing was just, I mean, it's so, so tragic and so devastating. But they were interviewed um, regarding the 10 year anniversary. And, and I learned some very interesting things. From, from this article. So Alyssa, the mom, she ended up starting a, a safe schools nonprofit where they would go around educating schools about um, different safety measures to put in place to hopefully prevent uh, further school shootings. And she talks about how she actually had to remove herself from the organization because mm-hmm. she was starting to get numb to telling the story of losing her daughter who now mm-hmm. would have been 16 years old. And I have a 17 year old who was in school when this tragedy happened. And um, I look at my daughter's life and everything that she's been able to experience. You know, she's getting her driver's license today. You know, she's got, she's had all of this amazing life experience. And they talk about how their daughter in their memory is locked in as a six-year-old learning about colors and learning about all of these different things of the world. Um, But I really loved what Robbie said in this article. He said, we have learned how to be able to hold two things. We can enjoy the things that make us happy, and we can also carry with us the pain of losing somebody and the sorrow associated with that. They can exist in the same place at the same time, and that's no longer as scary as it used to be. Um, to say that this family has been through hell and back is an understatement. I, um, you know, as parents, we send our kids off to school every day and hope that they're going to be kept safe, and knowing that we have almost no control over that. Um, but they very um, ad- admirably leaned on their faith, um, to get them through such a horrible tragedy. They talked about how they have lived through 10 December 14th since that happened. Mm. And every year on the anniversary, they say, we just have to get away. We don't want to talk to reporters. We don't want to talk to journalists. We, we go away as a family and we just go off the grid for a couple of days so that we can just be with ourselves and our grief. Um, they've since moved away from Newton, Connecticut. They live in the Pacific Northwest now. Um, and Alyssa has talked about her faith as being um, an incredible integral part of our healing. However, she admits to the fact that she had, after a few years, she really had to lean into um, trauma therapy 
which is understandable. Um, and Robbie talks about, he now works in a neonatal intensive care unit and his experiences with losing his daughter have proven to be invaluable with helping some of the families that he has to, um, relay bad news to or comfort in their time of need. So it's just a terrible tragedy, but I also am amazed at their faith and their ability to, um, like they said, hold space for the happy and the sad and the, the, the wonderful memories along with the painful memories. Um, just from my own experiences with grief, you know, Richie, I don't know how much grief you've experienced, but like grief doesn't go away. You know, grief doesn't get smaller over time. Your ability to hold it increases, you know, there's, um, and I'm sure that that's what they've had to lean into. It's just that bil- that strength and that ability to hold it mm. has increased. So yeah. anyway. Uh, yeah. Pretty remarkable story in, uh, in, yeah. And just continuing on, that's the thing that I think would be the hardest, mm-hmm. right? Is the, is yeah. that first day and then the next day and then continuing, but then knowing that y- your experiences have, bl- have blessed the lives of so many others. It, mm-hmm. it, it kind of makes you question where you're like, well, why did that happen to happen to me? I could have, I could have had that experience to other people and and been able to, but to be able to, you know, share all that you've learned and, and, and like you say, be able to hold space for that. That's, that's pretty remarkable and couldn't be further away from the tone and spirit of the last story for this articles of news. So I don't know how to shift except to say, no, you're great. I appreciate that you shared it. Uh, I don't know how to say that except for the way that I just said it. Um, this, I thought, I don't know if this is a real article or not. And I love these kind of articles more than anything else. <laughs> The headline, fans horrified to learn the killers tricked them into enjoying Mormon rock. How dare they? (laughs) This is out of Las Vegas. Self-proclaimed killers fan Tyler Blakesley was horrified, horrified to discover allusions to frontman Brandon Flowers' Mormon faith hidden within the band's biggest hits. Equally stunned, sources confirmed. Quote, I was just looking up the lyrics for all these things I've done. When I saw an annotation about Mormon themes behind the song, which was funny since I thought those guys were too cool to associate with those door knocking dorks, Blakesley said. (laughs) But now I know that Brandon Flowers is one of them. I just can't look at him the same way. He's so flamboyant and handsome that I never thought anything of the religious references when I first got into the killers. Oh, no. Does this mean that I like Mormon music? question mark exclamation point i feel like i might need to sit down well and jump back you might actually like some mormons too you know you might <laughs> like them as people i don't Birdman. know and it, oh go ahead well i was gonna say i love how they say he's so handsome and flamboyant and i'm like my husband's handsome but not flamboyant so i guess he can't be a rock star yeah darn it yeah <laughs> yep Frontman Brandon Flowers denied accusations that the killers deceived fans about their lyrical content. Quote, as a lifelong member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, my faith often influences my songwriting. That doesn't mean my band is Mormon rock, said Flowers, while ironing his temple garments. And that's why I don't think that this is actually real. But I appreciated everything about this article. Quote, we make glamorous indie rock and roll. uh, Sorry, let me do that sentence again. We make glamorous indie rock and roll that just happens to honor God when people make assumptions about the killers having a religious agenda they ignore our real agenda of influencing impressionable young kids to learn 
for reasons unknown on drums. If I wasn't so busy with touring, I would go door to door with sheet music and proselytize about the joys of percussion myself. It's the good news of the killers, Richie. It's <laughs> the good news of the killers. Uh, I absolutely loved it. And and uh, I appreciate you taking some time to be able to hey, this do, was so fun. To do some news with us. Uh coming up in the third block, we got the temple ticker, all things and the most important temple announcement in in over a century with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So stick around for that. Right. Uh Megan, tell people one more time where they can be able to find your podcast. And also there will be a link in the show notes. Awesome. Yeah. So it's the Little Lessons podcast. It's on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Um, also on Instagram at the Little Lessons Podcast. Um, there's some, it's a fun little little dive into my my brain with my podcast, but I hope that people will tune in and listen. It's it's enjoyable for me to put it together. It's actually been actually, it's been really inspiring for me. And it's in the last few months, I feel like I've become a better person. So that's awesome. It's, it's fun to hear the growth. That's just a proud, that's just proud teacher talking. Uh, thanks for joining. Anytime, Richie, if you ever want me back, let me know. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative Creative, affordable design. Let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, it is the Temple Ticker. If this is the first time listening, it's all things Temple of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with the smartest person in the entire Church of the of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I almost said the Church of the Jesus Christ. That's a whole different church. Different part of the Temple Block in Independence. I digress. Corey K. Ward here to tell us about all the Temple news since the last time we chatted with him. And the, and I know I'm, I feel like I'm being very hyperbolic this morning, the most important important temple announcement to be announced by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in a long time happens as our first story this morning. That's right. This has been a trend of a few months now where almost every Monday afternoon the church drops something, some temple news drops. So, But this your... one in particular is the most important of all the temple updates that we've had in a good long time. That's right. The the site of the Cleveland, Ohio temple has been Woo-hoo! announced. Just a little guy, though. Just a little guy. Um, well, the, there was a temple announced in Pittsburgh not long ago, and so they're getting a temple. So, but also Cleveland is. So, yeah, it's going to be a nine thousand nine hundred square foot temple. It's about. It's in a site that's nine point seven acres in the city of Independence, so not in the city of Cleveland, um, but in the same county. And then it is in Brexville Road, north of. Rockslide Road, or yeah, north of Rockslide Road. So if I look on the map here, there's a, a meeting house. Is that a stake center that's down the road? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yep. Seven. It's the Seven Hills Ward. It's sort of. It was sort of the nice ward, and I never served there. The sisters served always served in Seven Hills. Okay. Because it was the it was a, it was a little bit safer. Because there were some areas, if you can believe it, some areas of Cleveland that uh, they they 
there really shouldn't have been missionaries at all, perhaps, <laughs> but certainly not. They they were like, we're not putting the sisters there. Elders, yeah, you're disposable, but sisters, we're going to keep you down here. Yeah, it's an interesting little spot where they got the temple. Um, it's in a small neighborhood, but it's kind of near some, um, in between two houses, but kind of just a stone's throw away from the, uh, how do you say it? Cuyahoga. Cuyahoga River, yeah. Yep. Famous thing about the Cuyahoga River started on fire one time. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's not a joke. You think, how can a river start on fire? Well, when it's full of so much stuff that isn't water, that's how it started on fire. Gotcha. Yeah. That's how polluted it was back in the day. It is next to a bunch of, like, I see freight and everything. So I, I thought it was also curious that uh, when you look at some of these places where it's like, it's $10 million for the land here, it's, you know, whatever for the land here, less than a million <laughs> for the land for the or for the uh, Cleveland, Ohio temple. $900,000 was the price that the church paid for it, and it was finalized on October 3rd. And I'll beat the drum that I know that you want to anyway, but we'll just beat it real quick here at the beginning. Uh, it should be called the Independence Ohio Temple, but they would be very <laughs> confused when they're like, wait, Independence, that's in Ohio, what are we doing? So they'll just call it Cleveland. That's right. Uh, moving to a, a great interest of temples uh, for many people that participate uh, in the cultural high here, the uh, Austin, Texas Temple. That's right. The site of the Austin, Austin Temple, Texas has been announced. Um, also outside of Austin, it's in the city of Cedar Park. Um, there's a 10.6 acre site on Park Street there in Cedar Park, and it's, um, there's a meeting house that's already right there on the site. So I guess um, it's extra. It's kind of an extra large site, so perfect spot for a temple. What I found, of course, uh, characteristically um, stereotypical about this site is that it's across the street from one of those uh, football stadiums that's for a high school, mm -hmm. an 11,000 square foot stadium that's just for the high school. <laughs> wow. eleven. Uh, so 11,000 seats for the high school? That's uh -huh. insane. So they, you know that they'll do, uh, we'll close caption, send that to the high school across the street. We'll rent it out for the dedication for people <laughs> who can get there. That would be great. I bet, yeah, I they bet. do everything bigger in Texas, including yeah. their high school football <laughs> stadiums. Uh, and then Santiago West. Uh, yeah. So in Chile, there's uh, going to be a second temple in the city of Santiago. Um, this temple is going to be 12,500 square feet. It's adjacent, also adjacent to an existing uh, neighborhood, Los Libertadores Ward meets there. So, yeah. I thought this was interesting that there was a sign on this particular lot that was like, this belongs to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for like a decade. And everyone's like, well, okay. It's a weird okay. flex, church. Go ahead and put that sign there. Well, about a few decades ago, um, the church had a bunch of just sites they were going to um, used to expand the meeting houses. And then one and only Jeffrey R. Holland moved down there as an apostle that was assigned to the area. And basically he stopped the building program in its tracks. Wow. So the church still has all these empty lots that just haven't done anything with because they don't need them anymore. Because um, when Elder Holland came down, he closed a bunch of the wards and a bunch of the stakes and you didn't need any more lots anymore. So the church has these leftover land that they're figuring out what to do with. I feel like there's a second part of that story that maybe I'm not getting. He was like, "What we we have enough buildings? Don't we don't need to build anymore? Why what why the halt?" Uh, yeah, because a lot of the wards were combined and closed, and so you just oh. didn't need any more. Okay. You almost made that story sound sort of tyrannical. He comes down, he's like, "No more building. We're not building anything more." Well, some Forget some Chileans it. think that about him. So really, <laughs> they still have kind of a, a hard 
um, feelings towards him. Really? <laughs> I and and you know, could, did you serve in Chile? I, I can't remember. No, you just know you just know this because of your Corey and you know everything. Got it. Okay, <laughs> that's right. Uh, we also got some renderings, which is cool. Some of these are are really, really just kind of a fun. Uh, I don't know. They maybe they they aren't any different, but they feel different to me. A couple of these, I think so. Yeah, first Kaohsiung, uh, Taiwan. It's one of those um, small, going to be a Cleveland size temple. Um, yeah, kind of an interesting. I thought that the spire in this one, and by the way, you can see all these in the show notes uh, with this episode. But I thought the spire felt sort of different in this. Yeah, kind of a lot taller than like almost twice as t- almost like a full height taller than the building. Mm-hmm. Kind of some geometric shapes that are kind of un- probably uniquely Chinese. So, uh, and then Singapore is the next one. Yeah, this is um, we talked about that the church has these core plans that they have, but this Singapore temple I don't think is one of these. I think it might be a unique or a new plan. Interesting. And so it it looks like. Um, kind of like the Cardston Alberta Temple, except only um, one floor. Um, it's going to be 18,000 square feet. It kind of looks like the they've recently released a rendering for the Belo Horizonte Brazil Temple. So it kind of looks pretty similar to that. Or the Meridian Idaho Temple, if you know, if you're familiar with that one. Which is and, weird when you think, oh, yeah, they're putting in Singapore the same thing that they're putting in Idaho. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. I mean, a little. So it's, it's, it's a little odd. Uh, I was also going to say it gives me a little bit of like Laie vibes, a little, and okay. I don't know if that's just yeah. the palm trees that they put around it or if it's something <laughs> about the structure. Maybe that too. And if you look in the back of the structure, there's a large building which is going to be like the accommodation center and the chapel and everything, and it's taller than the temple itself. So. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, then we go to uh, here in the great USA, Knoxville. Yeah, Knoxville, we got this core design that's been used a lot. Um, I don't know what's your impression. It kind of look, looks like there's a bell. On the top yeah. of the building, that's very what uh, um, Pro- Protestant, right? Isn't that Protestant, very Protestant-y, yeah. right? <laughs> like it, yeah. I mean, like you look at the uh, Taylorsville Temple here in the in the state of Utah. Mm-hmm. It straight up looks like it could be something from like the East Coast somewhere. It does not. In fact, most people that I know that aren't members of the church are like, "What even is that going to be?" And when we say a temple, they go, "Oh, oh okay, okay, yeah." yeah. Uh, and that's that's a massive one. You probably know that's a thirty thousand plus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the the one that I thought was curious is that it 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 reminds me sort of of like um, the train stations is the Modesto one. Like it looks <laughs> like the train should pull up kind of in the front and then you get off and then you go into the into the back. But that's what Modesto looks like. Yeah, that's kind of a smart uh, observation. I um from. Comments on Facebook, I got that this is kind of a mission, it's called mission revival style, Hmm. but it also kind of looks like a little bit of art deco too. So it's kind of a weird mixture between the two. Uh, Interestingly enough, though, still uh, no Moroni's. I just want to point that out and flex that fact whenever we get it. Yeah. And I was just going to say, I was on the church's um, news website group on Facebook and um, there's a lot of people that notice them nowadays and they're, they're because there's no explanation or anything like we talked about, they're kind of confused. And so what I've been seeing is that there's kind of this group that's popped up on Facebook mm-hmm. that's um, furthered this conspiracy theory about why the angel Moroni is not on any of the temples. And? <laughs> and they seem to talk about like, oh, well, these temples, maybe they won't be done by the millennium. Uh, or maybe uh-huh. missionary, missionary work to the Gentiles is over. That's why people aren't joining the church anymore. Mm. And that's why angel Moroni isn't on the temples. 
You know, so, it, it, it's true. And if people would like to join my church, Corey, <laughs> stay, all the same doctrines, because I'm too like lazy to figure something out. Yeah. Only 9%. That's how much my tithing is. So Only consider it. Tithing. I mean, it, it, it saves you a percent. We ask that you donate that percent, but the 9% uh, goes to me. I'll be a hundred percent transparent about where that money goes. Um, but yeah, that's the conspiracy theory in church that I'm building. That's a joke. Everyone calm down. <laughs> uh, the mayor, uh, a mayoral visit to a temple. This is kind of fascinating. This is included. Yeah, remember we talked about the Celta Argentina Temple? It got the last Moroni. Mm-hmm. Um, the mayor, Bettina Romero, she visited the temple and she just um, she liked it. She said, Celta values religious expression and appreciates the important contribution that the temple provides to the community. And she also said, and I'd like to point out that there's no Moroni and that's because <laughs> this temple won't be... No, I'm just joking. No, actually, this is the Moroni. This is the last Moroni. Oh, there is a Moroni yeah. and it's because all the Gentiles, are the last ones are here. <laughs> join us people really will make up whatever they need to to try and justify stuff Fill in and the you gaps, think about yeah. it and you go man that's crazy but i suppose it's no crazier than something else you know yeah yeah like i watch some of these my wife really likes the murder shows and the ones where like you know the whole group follow the person and you're like that's crazy and then you're like well, i don't know that may not be any more crazy. It's just it, it's intent. It's you know it's direction. It's some of those things, but it 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 can be just as odd as maybe sometimes some of the things that we say, where we go, no, we're doing this for debt for the dead, and people go, what, what? <laughs> no, I swear that anyway. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Uh, temple in uh, Bangkok. Talk to me about the uh, the water damage there. Yeah, we talked about that. There was a project manager that joined the church, and I, I this is probably the same guy. I'm thinking. So here's the um, the story that um, was related about what happened in, in Bangkok this last week. It says, during a heavy rainstorm in Thailand last month, a clap of thunder caught the attention of the project manager of the temple. The noise was followed by a spiritual impression that he should inspect the rooftop of the temple. When he arrived, he found that all the drains had been closed for waterproof testing. What? And the roof was filling up with water. Crew members were called and they managed to... Um, to drain all of the rainwater before the damage was caused. He was struck by the care that the Lord has for his holy house. That's cool. And where, wait, yeah. where did you see this story? Um, it's on the uh, Church of Jesus Christ Temple's website. Okay. Okay. So it hasn't hit the the mainstream. Hasn't hit living yet. Yeah. yeah. See, you heard it here <laughs> first on the temple ticker of the cultural hall. You know that story's coming. And that's cool. That that's pretty amazing, right? Can you imagine if the whole roof of this thing fell in because they had we, the drains were closed to try and would have delayed yeah it's going to be probably dedicated next year and it probably would have delayed that dedication yeah uh baptistry window stained glass he said yeah. with a question mark at the end <laughs> if you haven't seen um the construction updates of the orem utah temple they've been putting in the stained glass there and i think it's a really unique stained glass window that they have in the baptistry which feature kind of those um the birds and the dragonflies in the Utah Lake area. So, hmm. Hmm. are they going to do a uh, stained glass depiction of whomever set uh, the temple on fire? That's sort of like a, a dedication to part of its history. No, is that <laughs> you don't want to? I don't know. You don't want to glorify something like that, right? No, but th- has that did that person get found? Do you know? I don't think so. Yeah, no. right. They just said we're looking for it, and they're making an offering as far as you know, if you can help find the person, but they know that it was arson and that's sort of where it died. Yeah. 
as we look back at 2022, because I don't know if we'll chat again this year, uh, give me the year in review. Let's do it. Yeah, so this is the year that we uh, reached 300 temples total. So 35 temples were announced in General Conference in April and October. And then there uh, was 16 oh, groundbreakings and um, a number of dedications and rededications, five dedications, uh, Rio de Janeiro to Brazil, Jigo uh, Guam, Praia Cape Verde, Belém, Brazil, and Quito, Ecuador. It seems like we got to do this a little faster. If we've got 300 uh, and we only de- <laughs> dedicated five this year and rededicated four of them, it seems like we've got a, you know, we've got a year and a couple years where it's like, and there were 90 temples this year. Yeah, well, obviously we had more groundbreakings than dedications, and so they're kind of catching up that way. Uh, I predict that maybe next year there'll be probably hopefully 15 or 20 dedications. Hmm. So that would be a pretty good. Yeah, one about every three weeks, every every other week, every three weeks. That's a pretty big deal. Uh, what uh, in uh, Hamilton, New Zealand, they had to re like fix everything up. Washington uh-huh. D.C. That's what they were doing. It was Tokyo and Hong Kong. Was that just a general kind of upkeep and they rededicated it, or is it? Something well, I can't Hong, remember. The Hong Kong Temple was that they took off the entire. Um, if you know about what the Hong Kong Temple, the history of it, originally there was a meeting house in the bottom floor in the mission office and everything, uh-huh. but that was relocated and now the whole structure is a temple. Uh, and they took off the entire outside of the temple, all the the stone and everything, and replaced it with a new exterior. Okay. Okay. And then Tokyo. Tokyo, yeah. Um, they built like a huge new annex on the side and redid everything too. So. Okay. All these uh, renovations are pretty thorough. Ten open houses. Yeah. So all the ones we mentioned above, plus we had the Puerto Rico, the one in Puerto Rico that happened that will be dedicated early next year. First, first, 2023. First. That's what they're saying. Or how do you say first in Spanish? Uh, primero. Primero. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Primero. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're saying that there are three scheduled dedications, one rededication, but you're thinking 15 to 20? Total? Uh, yeah, I think that we might get that. Hmm. Yeah, you predict maybe a St. George rededication. That hasn't been formalized. No, but that's going to be a big deal when it happens. One sure. Of the first Pioneer Temple to be rededicated. For well, and, it's start, and it's starting to look as such, too. Like, it, you know, the grounds are starting to kind of be put back together. I was down there a couple of weeks ago, and it's oh, great. And it's coming together. That's great. And 30 groundbreakings. Any, uh, any predictions? Any announcements? I don't know. What do you think, Richie? Uh, I mean... You know, I don't know. I'm betting uh, I, I'm going to go out on a limb right here and say at uh, General Conference, we're going to go for a 15. 15? Okay. He's going to go like another 15, both. and then he'll do 15 in the fall, and it'll be 330 because we like nice, <laughs> nice round numbers. Inspired nice round numbers. I would say no temples uh, announced, and they'd be like, because was it President Monson or President Hinckley that was like, hey, we're going to we're going to press pause and catch up on all this. I would say that, but there are enough places. I mean, and you could rattle off a few of them where they just don't have enough space for the saints who are, you know, trying to get temple work done. So they can't just not. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. My hot take is that if President Nelson's alive, there will be another 30 or so temples. Yeah. Yeah. Who Maybe. knows if if he passes away and President Oaks is there. Who knows if this pace will be the same. Sure. It's inter- It's a fascinating thing. Maybe we wrap it out here. The different focuses of the uh, of the church when there is a different prophet, and I would imagine you know Elder Oaks then would be President Oaks would have a very different focus than President Nelson. Not good, bad, just different. Yeah. Uh, 
I wish that you would have a Merry Christmas, Corey K. Ward. Thank uh, you. May you get uh, all the, the uh, temple uh, information that you would you have asked for for Christmas. Someone put it in a nice binder on a dot matrix printer and print it out and bind it underneath your uh, your Christmas tree. Are you doing anything fun for the holiday? I'm just hanging out at my parents' house with my yeah. younger brothers. So yeah, are you the, are you a bully older brother? A little bit, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good. It's okay, they're uh, bigger than me now. So yeah. So watch it. So watch it. <laughs> They'll they'll pin you down, and you know how you used to have to name like ten fruits, where they would you know pound on your forehead or whatever. They're like name fifty temples. That's how they do it to Corey. <laughs> how they bully him. Uh, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body. I hope that if you are sick or otherwise afflicted, you can be here next week. And that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Chris at Alpine Lakes Travel, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, and Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast. We'll be saving a seat for you on the back row. Of the cultural hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. On the back row, we really gotta go on the cultural hall show.